0: Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, Elle Luna, who is the author of possibly my favorite essay of all time, The Crossroads of Should and Must, which has now recently been expanded into a book by the same name. She also runs a textile venture, the Boulan Project, a collaboration between designers and master artists in Bali, and has previously worked as a designer at IDEO and with teams on apps and websites, including Medium, Mailbox's iPhone app, and my favorite app, Uber. And she's here to talk to us today about the crossroads of should and must and her time writing the book, writing the essay, and all of the amazing, wonderful things that she's doing now. So I'd like to welcome Elle. Hi, Al.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to get to chat with you about about this crossroads.
0: So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of where you started out, because now, by now you've started all these wonderful art projects. You've published this book earlier this year in April, but I know that that's not exactly where you started when you graduated school and were first entering what I call the real world. You wanted to go to law school. Is that right?
1: Yes, I I tried really hard to go to law school and Sam I can't I can't believe that you found that little fact. I feel like that's kind of buried <laughs> on the internet. You've you've done some research.
0: Yes, the, I heard that you wanted to go, but it didn't it didn't quite work out.
1: No, I really wanted to go. I come from a long line of lawyers and I really felt like I should be a lawyer and I felt like I could I could do it that path was really clear to me, probably because I had seen so many other folks in my family go down that journey. And so I applied to nine law schools, and I was rejected from every single one of them. And Mm. I really see that as one of the universe's great gifts to me in my life. Because had I had I gotten into one of them, I, I would have gone, I absolutely would have gone. And what began to flourish in that moment of total despair and panic was, what do I really want to be doing? And at that time, I was sleeping at the art studio. I was basically living within our our art program at the college that I went to. And somebody asked me, you know, have you ever thought about actually pursuing your art? And that really, really scared me because I hadn't. And, you know, I had heard a lot of myths about what it, what an artist is and how volatile it is to be an artist. And, and I, I had really internalized a lot of those, those ideas. And so the possibility of doing that didn't even cross my mind. But then when I had no other options, I decided, well, hell, I might as well go for it. And, and I applied to art school instead. And
0: I went. And after going to art school, how did that help you shape what kind of artist you wanted to be? How did that help you shape your first career moves?
1: Well, I don't know about you, but I felt like in my early 20s, I was just terrified of being able to find a job. Right. Everyone is. I really felt the burden of, of competition and just worrying that I would be taken care of. And I feel like In school, I had all of these really lofty ideas of, you know, I I felt like I was really making poetry, so to speak, with my work. And then when graduation started coming around, I began to panic and I began to worry about how I was going to make it, if I would be able to live in a, you know, where I wanted to live in a safe neighborhood if I wanted to, um, you know, travel, if I could afford to travel or really what my life was going to look like. And so suddenly, you know, getting offers became really scary, getting resumes out there became scary, rejection became scary. It's sort of like things became really sober really fast.
0: And we listed a couple of the cool places that you've worked, um, IDEO and with Mailbox and with Uber. So which do you think really you know, helped shape this idea of starting to figure out what your calling was in life and how you wanted to work?
1: I was able to identify some of the early projects and like freelance work that I did as jobs, which was that this isn't my dream situation, but I'm doing the best I can and I'm able to have income and continue to make space on nights and weekends for my passion, for my calling. And one of the things that I would stumble upon later was a TED talk by Stefan Sagmeister. And for yes. anybody in this, in this position, I, what I did was after I listened to this TED talk that he gave, he talked about three different types of work. And I pulled out a piece of paper and I made three columns and you can do the same thing. On one column, I wrote job on the second column career. And on the third calling a job is something that we do from nine to five. It's something that we do for pay. A career is a system of advancements over time. Like you could think about your LinkedIn profile as being a good example of your career. And a calling is something that we do for intrinsic motivation, something that we do regardless of pay. And right. what he really urged was self-awareness around these three different modes of work. And so I would ask you all the same question which of these do you have with your projects, with your work, both paid and unpaid? How would your activities map across these three columns?
0: And that's, I mean, that's such a good example of, and it's in your essay and it's in your book, you have all these exercises that are really simple that help you kind of start to get in touch with what you really love to do. I mean, it really has made me kind of rethink what it was that I really loved to do when I was younger, what I really thought I wanted to be when I was in school. And I'm wondering, thinking about that essay and all of these things that you wrote about, what sparked you to really write that essay? Because you're not a psychologist or a life coach or anything, but this essay reads like someone who knows how the brain works. Like, I felt like you knew how my brain was working. Right when I got nervous about something, you addressed that question. And so I'm just wondering how you kind of came up with the idea for this essay. At what point were you in your life when you wrote it?
1: I was working as the design lead at a startup. Uh, We were building the iPhone app mailbox, and we were about to release it to the world. And I remember feeling, as I sat at my desk, like, wow, this is one of the highlights of my life, to go from an idea on a Post-it note all the way through to an implemented product in the Apple App Store. But in the back of my mind, I had this restlessness I had this itching, I had this discomfort inside of me where I thought, is this really, really, really the core of my calling to be designing apps, to be solving issues around email? And I had this understanding very deep down that there was something about my very early art practice as a child, the fact that I painted and made art all up until, you know, all through college, into grad school. And then somewhere along the way had started to abandon that practice and um, had gotten further and further away from it. And I just sat there at my desk and I thought, wow, I'm getting older and I can do anything that I really want with my time. I can make those things happen. Is this what I really want to be doing? And it became really clear at that moment that, it wasn't what I really wanted to be doing. And a lot of it had to do with a dream that I had been having. Right. I'd been having this recurring dream about a white room. It had started a couple of months prior to this launch day with our, with our product. And in this dream, I would walk into a white room that had concrete floors and tall white walls and warehouse windows at the back of the space. And one day, I was telling my friend about this dream, and she asked the question that totally turned my life inside out and upside down. She said, have you ever thought about looking for your dream in real life?
0: Right. Where do you go?
1: (laughs) Where do you go? Well, I went to Craigslist. That's where you go. (laughs) And I began searching the ads of just, you know, spaces for rent in San Francisco, and I continued doing this because I had this feeling. I had this indescribable feeling that whatever I was looking for was looking for me, too. And one day, right there on the screen, there it was. It was a photograph, an apartment for rent in San Francisco. And there was an open house the very next day. Of course. Of course. Right. So I go to the open house. I walk in. There's a woman there accepting rental applications. I filled it out. I handed it to her. It was so out of body. I just, I gave it to her and I left. I received the phone call a couple of hours later. The place was mine. I moved in two weeks later and I sat on the floor of this room and I looked around and instead of being filled with this um, sense of peace that I had felt in my dream, I unexpectedly began to panic. And because I felt like this room had called me to it, I decided to just ask the room. I decided to ask out loud, why am I here? And as clear as day, as clear as anything that I know to be true, the room replied. And the room said, it is time to paint. And so I was painting basically every hour of the day that I wasn't working at this startup. And it all really came to this culminating moment when we launched our product to the world. And I sat there at my desk and I looked around and I thought, wow, this is really a crossroads moment. Do I want to stick with this design and continue doing apps and solving, creating tools that help people um, have more productive lives, which is something that I was very passionate about? Or do I want to give it a go making art? And right then and there, boom, this crossroads appeared in my life it is the crossroads between should and must
0: what i think is interesting is some of this came from the day that that app launched and you found felt like it was an unbelievable experience and you know it was reaching all of these people but interestingly enough when you published this essay you had a similar thing happen i mean you published this essay on medium the crossroads of should and must and you know quarter of a million people read it. It was tweeted to 5 million people. CEOs got in touch with you. So many people got in touch with you to share their stories. So you had two really incredible experiences where you reached all these people mm-hmm. really quickly. I mean, what was that like to reach everyone with with that essay and, and see that, that aftermath and that spin?
1: Sam, you know what? I've, I haven't ever thought until you just said that, that the reach of of an app within a company and the reach of the essay, uh, were at similar scales. I've never thought. I've never. I mean, yes, they're both independently true, but I've never actually correlated that. You know, impact can happen in a group. It can also happen through your own art practice. I've I've never connected that it's the same thing, but just happening through different channels. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> and part of it was, I think, that it was the way it was illustrated. I mean. Th- seeing that crossroads i think is really striking for people like to see the road sign with should pointing one way and must pointing another way like to see that visualized i think is really special
1: you know there i don't know that i've talked about this the as i was writing the book on my computer i it was just like madness you know i'm i'm like sitting at this desk trying to write and it was just not going well and I'm having, you know, this conversation with myself and I'm thinking, you know, why is this not going well? What's going on? I was like, well, I just, you know, I don't like sitting here at the computer and I you know, I can't get the words out and everything stinks. I think my editor had even written back like Dear Oprah, you know, we need you to try this whole chapter again. And I thought, Oh, <laughs> gosh, because, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a psy- psychologist or therapist or, you know, any of this. And I even said to my therapist at the time, I said, Who am I to say all these things? Who am I to write all this? And, you know, I was like, I don't have a degree in these things. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, it, You don't need a degree in these things. You're an artist and artists can do whatever they want. And I thought, yes, <laughs> that's, great. that's I to Be I want to be an artist and I just want to ask these questions. And so as I was writing and banging my head at the computer, I decided I needed to try something else. And I thought, well, when I paint, I'm not at a computer. I'm standing up. I have a brush in my hand and I'm at a wall. So I had this big insight, which was, why don't I get a bunch of pieces of paper and pin all of them up on the wall? And instead of typing the book, why don't I write the book with a paintbrush? Why don't I paint the book? And so then I began painting the pages. Literally, whatever I needed to say, I just let it move through a brush instead of through a keyboard, and it really changed the words coming out onto the page. And that was when I had this insight that while it's a book and it has lots of words in it, it needs to be essentially a painting across 176 pages.
0: And I, I will say that I think you are so creatively like in touch with, you know, your art and your calling and your your must, for lack of a better word. But I will say that people, you know, maybe my age, 23, 24, 25, probably aren't as in touch with it as you are, probably don't have these, you know, intense feelings that this is what they need to do. I I would have never quit my job after a successful app launch. Like, I, I can't even fathom what that would look like. So I'm wondering, you know, now that you've gotten to talk to people about this concept, how do you talk to people that are scared or not as creatively charged as you are. I believe that everyone is creative to a sense, and everyone has a passion and I talk to my friends about their 9 to 5 jobs or careers and they're not quite where they want to be and they want to be more creatively challenged and they want more out of what they're doing, but there are a lot of things getting in the way of that. So how do you talk to people about getting more in touch with that and finding it in a way that maybe is more feasible for their lifestyle or where they're at, at their stage in life?
1: I have one very strong answer, which is get to know your shoulds. Getting to know the shoulds of our life is the most important way to uncover must. Now, I have to say that, unfortunately, our shoulds don't go away. They just change over time. So right now, I'm really in the in the weeds with my shoulds, and I'm trying to get to know them, and I'm trying to shine a light on them, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where, where I've, I have begun internalizing some of these shoulds. What is really powerful is that the journey always matches the traveler. So let's say you've been given a really, really big challenge that you think is a little audacious, and, you know, it seems like, how am I possibly going to be able to figure this one out? Well, it also means that you're ready. You're eligible. You're strong. And the challenge that you've been given is one that you can accomplish if you right. choose to, if you step into it. And so the, it's almost like going through different levels of a video game. The shoulds at level two are going to be different from the shoulds at level four. So you continue to circle back to them. And what you want to cultivate is a muscle for dealing with should. You want to get to know them. You want to befriend them. Because the more you understand your shoulds, the more they release their grip on your life. So let, let's give an example. If you were to take out a piece of paper and you were to complete some of these sentences, uh, you should never, you should fill in the blank. You should always, you should know better than to. These sentences, when you complete them, and maybe you have, you know, shoulds that are
0: popping into your mind, even as I read them right now. Right, I'm trying to think as as you're saying it, what mine, probably one of the ones that's still most relevant to me is like, the, you should have a job that pays rent. And, you know, you should work really hard now because it'll pay off late. You know, they always say that at an entry level, you should be working the long hours and you should be the one staying late and coming in early because it kind of gets noticed. Those are some of the ones that are popping into my head.
1: Well, one of the things I really want to mirror back to you that you just said is, it's brilliant. You said, they, you know, they always (laughs) say. So what a cool thing. What a cool thing. So you've heard a should and then... It's inside of you, and it's a belief system, and you recognize it there as a should. You see it. You're saying, hey, should, I see you. And there's this idea of they, and I, that's brilliant. And so mm-hmm. if you fill out these phrases, if you complete these sentences, then I would recommend going through each one by one and asking three questions. The first would be, where did you come from? When did I first pick you up? And if you can think of an early childhood experience, if you could think of, um, you know, maybe a conversation that somebody had to you when you were in your second grade art class, Um, these stories in my life, as I've gone back into my childhood and thought about early childhood shoulds, they seem kind of, um, I I kind of laugh at them and I poo-poo them and I think like, oh, that's not really that big of a deal that she said that to me in my art class. But actually it was a huge deal. The second question would be, Is this should still relevant to who you are today, to who you have become? As a 33-year-old woman, do I still want to hold on to this should from my second grade art class? Or has it run its course? Has it expired? Maybe it is long overdue. And that leads us to the last question, which is, do I still really want to hold on to you?
0: And something that you brought up that we, of course, have to talk about and that you do talk about is the money issue. Because not everyone, I mean, ideally, I would love to go find a room and have all that alone time and kind of cultivate that space. But everyone probably doesn't have that yet or isn't able to do that yet. So how do you approach Finding your space and being creative and doing something that you love while still knowing that you really need to be in some sort of job, in some sort of money-making venture. Because like you said, you need money to exist on this planet, Um, and there's not really a way around that yet (laughs) unless, I guess, you steal or something like that.
1: There's no one-size-fits-all right answer. Just because you have a job Monday through Friday, 9 to 5— And you make money doing it doesn't make that work dirty. There is dignity in all work and you get to decide what you want in your life. Maybe you have that job Monday through Friday and you pursue your calling on nights and weekends. Or maybe you pursue your calling 24-7 and you make a living off of it. There's not one answer that's better than the other. You can look throughout history of examples of people. The artist Keith Haring, he painted, and then he also worked at restaurants. He was a busboy. Kurt Vonnegut, he uh, was an incredible writer, author. He sold cars. He was a car salesman. Now, the catch is, if you are working 80 hours a week at a job to pay the bills, and at the end of the day, you're exhausted, you can't even lift a finger, and you don't have weekends... Well, you're probably not going to be able to pursue your must on nights and weekends because you're just going to be really tired. So I think the insight is to look at those three categories and figure out how you want to get creative, how you want to combine them to create space for must in your life. And if there is one takeaway from all of this, from all of it, in navigating money and learning about all of these different people in their lives, about trying to you know, deal with money and having a space and time and solitude and vulnerability. After working through all of that, the number one takeaway is this. Choosing must is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. And anybody can choose it. And anybody can choose it today. You don't have to quit the job. You don't have to walk away from everything and go to a faraway magical island. You can do it today just by doing one thing for five minutes, for 10 minutes, that honors this, this voice inside of you that's emerging. And it's this interesting thing because together as a group, we're all in this. We are all in this together. But we need your uniqueness. We, we need you to show up uniquely. I want to know what unique must gifts are inside of each person. Imagine if every person stepped into the fullness of must. It would be
0: incredible. It would be ideal. <laughs> Yes, I think that's, I mean, I think that's one of the things I loved most about reading your essay was it It didn't really say that you should quit your job today and move into the forest and channel that. Because I mean, the fact of the matter is not everyone is an artist. I'm not an artist. I, I can't draw. I'm a writer. I like to write. Um, I have friends that are really talented with music. I have friends that are really talented leaders. And like, you can just see that Right now they're at these entry-level jobs, but one day you know that they're going to be wonderful leaders. And it might be at a finance job, which, you know, doesn't seem as artistic and wonderful, but they'll be really wonderful leaders. And I think the nice thing was that it doesn't have to be one thing. Everyone doesn't have to go be a painter. Everyone doesn't have to go, you know, quit their jobs today. There can be little things. I mean, we talked about some of the exercises you provided, but just the act of, like, five minutes a day writing something or five minutes a day looking up something that you really enjoy it seems really doable at least as a start at least at this stage in my life and my friend's life seems like something that can kind of get you excited about you know the next year or the next two years figuring out what you want to do you know philip
1: glass was the same year that his his work was beginning to debut um, he had a huge debut at the met I just imagine him, I don't know if this was true, but I imagine him like walking up the, you know, the red carpet at the Met, like in a tuxedo and, you know, having this grand performance. And the same year that that happened, he also renewed his taxi driver's license just in case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope that everyone gets a chance to read The Crossroads of Should and Must, which they can find on Medium. Um, and the book, which you mentioned, is from Workman Publishing, which is available on Amazon or wherever people are buying their books. Um, both are really inspiring. And I'm so glad that I was also able to talk to you about your shoulds and your musts and everything that you're working on now.
1: Mm, thank you, Sam. This is really a privilege.
0: Thanks so much to all of you for joining me today for Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at Sam and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkell. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and review in iTunes and grab a copy of the book that has all the answers, The Real Simple Guide to Real Life. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll see you next time.